Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we try to cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. Rick Wilson is a former Republican strategist and the author of two New York Times bestselling books, Everything Trump Touches Dies and Running Against the Devil, A Plot to Save America from Trump. He's the co-founder of The Lincoln Project, an anti-Trump group made up of former moderate Republicans. They supported Joe Biden's campaign in 2020, and they'll be supporting him again and opposing Trump once more in 2024. Rick and the Lincoln Project have produced some of the most successful anti-Trump material online because they understand the hollowness of the MAGA movement, and they understand Trump himself in a way that really seems to piss him off. You'll find Rick writing his fiery political takes at the pro-democracy media company Resolute Square, where he and other key figures in the Lincoln Project, as well as a variety of contributors, set out to counter the growing political extremism within the GOP. Rick also has his own podcast now known as The Enemies List, which is available in all the usual places. Rick is a frequent MSNBC guest who can break down Trumpism and the Republican Party, in our opinion, better than anyone. We're extremely grateful to get to talk to him today. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a rating and a review on the app that you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe at didnothingwrongpod.com to get our content straight into your inbox. All of our work is free, but we're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that ensure that we can keep doing this important work. Thank you. Rick, thank you so much for being here, and welcome to Did Nothing Wrong. I am thrilled to be with you, my friend. Awesome. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for coming out with us today on this. You recently wrote a great piece called The Steamy Fantasies of the 2024 Republicans. In it, you said of the Republican <laughs> consultants looking to beat Trump with a primary challenger, quote, they all wave off the power of Trump with the GOP base. They all skip to the post-credit scene of the movie. None of them, literally none of them, has a real plan to beat Trump. Some of them plan to run the 2016 playbook all over again, and we know how well that worked out the first time. Why is there no plan to beat him? Have they learned nothing in the last seven years? Well, they've learned nothing. No, they, they've learned nothing. They, they, they recall nothing. They've learned nothing. They believe nothing. And there is this fantasy life that they've existed in for so long that if they ignore Trump, he'll go away. If they just wait for him to die, everything will go back to normal. Something will happen. He'll get indicted or he'll get hit by a meteorite or a wolf will eat him or whatever <laughs> fantasy they have. It's all bullshit. They're out of their fucking minds. It's all bullshit. It's the same shit I heard in 2016. I literally sat in rooms with four different presidential candidates because my guy was collapsing at that point. But, and they said things like, well, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait till Marco takes out Christie. And then once Christie's out of the way, I'll scoot past him and take out Trump. And it was like, Oh no, I'm going to wait till Marco takes out Jeb. And once Jeb's done, then I'll go past Jeb and then I'll take out Christie. And then I'll, and it's all crazy talk. It's all bullshit. It's all ping pong, pachinko machine, the balls (laughs) bouncing randomly. And they think there's something happening. It's not, it's never going to go the way they think it's going to go because they don't live in reality. Trump owns the base of the Republican Party. Maybe he doesn't own as much of it as he used to. Oh, wow. That's terrible for Donald. It dropped from 89% approval to 76% approval. That still means he's going to go out and wipe the floor with these people when the day comes. If they show a single sign of imperfection 
from the religion and doctrine of esoteric Trumpism. <laughs> yes, it absolutely seems like they're just not taking that into account or they somehow think that like those people in the base are going to line up behind whichever normie conservative happens to be the anointed choice at that point. But they don't seem to realize that those people are Trump people now. These aren't Republican voters really anymore, it seems. No, they're, they're, listen, not, not these Trump voters, if you go out and sadly, you know, I'm, I'm the, the, the anthropologist of Trumpism and of Trump. <laughs> and I've lived this, I've lived this experience since 2015, which, you know, in dog years, I'm like 400 years old. <laughs> the Trump voter at the base does not care about limited government or the Constitution or economic freedom or individual liberty or the rule of law or any of the things that define Republican politics and Republican ideology and conservative ideology for generations. Right. What do they believe in? Owning the lips. Mm-hmm. That Dr. Fauci is trying to put 5G chips in your vaccine so that Klaus Schwab at the World Economic Forum can secretly monitor your penis. I mean, the, the <laughs> shit that they believe is is so outrageously disconnected from reality. But a lot of people in the Republican consultant space and the elected officials at this in the Senate and other places, they really don't get what happened at the base. It became corrupted. It became consumed. Uh, it became conspiratorial. All the madness, all the lunacy, all the batshit crazy stuff that it was always there. But now it's the mainstream of the Republican Party. It's the center of what it is. And Trump feeds that desire they have for spectacle. He feeds that desire they have for outrage and transgression and mania. And all of it is missing on the people in Washington. Look, the, the consultants coming down to Florida, You should. Uh, we should open up a special Delta Sky Club lounge at the Tallahassee <laughs> airport just for D.C. consultants who fly down here. I mean, I live here, and, and these are people that don't talk to me anymore because, you know, I'm an apostate and the devil. Right. But I, I see them out at restaurants, and this is like, you think you're, what the, what are you doing here? They all came down here. They're all coming down here to kiss his ass. Oh, yes, Ron, you were the tallest, smartest, most handsome man in the room. You have a 17 inch penis. Every woman wants you, and every man wants to be you. And, and they're all hoping to get on this gravy train, but they have no plan. The whole plan is, well, Trump will fuck up and we'll just go by him. It defies imagination. It's like they think the cult of personality they built around Trump can somehow be transferred to DeSantis, as if that's how it works, as if you can just replace the cult leader with a new cult leader. Unless you're a member of the of the Kim family in North Korea, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> now, I, I, I think the Trump folks would, the Trump family would like it to work that way. Kim Jong-un. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit of Juche from Sunshine Mountain. <laughs> but look, th this is a world where Ron DeSantis is a lot like a trained monkey. Now, a trained monkey can do a lot of things. It can smoke a cigarette. It can juggle. <laughs> it can play cards. But it's not the real thing. It's an imitation. And the Trump show that America became very accustomed to came out of 14 years of The Apprentice, where Americans saw the person Donald Trump played on TV and believed it. It came from 40 years of Trump's marketing of himself as the business genius 
Many, many people say I'm the greatest businessman in the world, and they bought into it. Ron DeSantis is basically an undefined creature. He's like the conservative dreamboat right now among people who read National Review. You know how many people read National Review? 30,000 subscribers in the whole fucking country. I could I could I could literally say the word fart on Twitter and thirty thousand people will interact <laughs> with the content. So DeSantis has got this like little narrow bubble of love from two groups: the National Review sort of respectable gentry conservative set, and Republican mega donors on Wall Street who don't like Trump aesthetically, and their wives really don't like Trump, and they're all basically pro-immigration liberal Republicans. And the irony is he's trying to play to the Republican base as this, I'm going to be the anti-woke candidate. Great. That's super. (laughs) It's like I've said since the beginning of Trump. If someone came to your home and acted like Donald Trump, he would say, get the fuck out of here. But Ron DeSantis thinks he can act like Donald Trump and try to, once again, like slice the edge of the ribbon so he doesn't like get all the the negative radiation of Trump, it's not going to work. No, and it seems like they are just... I've had a lot of coffee today! (laughs) (laughs) He's got the hand gestures down. I will give DeSantis that. He definitely, you know, has... has, (laughs) They've trained him well. Uh, The special point and the birds birds that fly away. (laughs) (laughs) I just keep thinking about the debate between Don and Ron DeSantis and just how ugly that's going to get. DeSantis doesn't strike me as much of a debater somehow. and... And look, here's the thing. I'm no fan of Charlie Crist, but Charlie in the debate this year absolutely cold cocked Ron DeSantis mm-hmm. with one stupid question that any debate prep would have ensured that DeSantis was ready for. Right. And when I say any debate prep, I mean, it's funny, Stuart Stevens and I were talking the other day. Both of us have been through our share of you know statewide candidates and presidential debate preps. And vice presidential debate preps. And we, we, we've both been to the rodeo a few times on the on debate prep. If you're Ron DeSantis, your team is going to prepare you for the stupidest, easiest layup question in the world. Any fucking moron would have been prepared for that question. The slime mold in the bottom of the boat would have been prepared for that question. <laughs> and Ron DeSantis sit there for nine seconds. To, oh. to. And in that space, all I knew was Donald Trump is watching this. He just saw that. He is going to eat this guy's liver on stage. He's going to rub the blood from Ron DeSantis' liver around his face and scream out in victory as Ron dies slowly in a pool of his own of his own lifeblood. It's just going to be fucking hideous. Because if Donald Trump has one feral gift, it is that he seizes on the weakness of his opponents and he drives and drives and grinds and grinds. He's the most sadistic motherfucker in the world when it comes to that stuff. And he saw that moment. He thought, oh, come to me, little man. Come to me now. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. I don't think uh, look at the scoreboard is really going to be the the win that DeSantis thinks it is when you get in those moments. You, I'm sorry, but you didn't quite own him, Ron. Yeah, you've got to fight. He's got to show that he can punch back. But yeah. Ron, Ron DeSantis also has another element. I mean, the guy sounds like he's a fucking like actuary at a regional insurance company who's pissed off because somebody took his red stapler. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> ugh. And Trump's going to make fun of him, and Trump's going to insult him, and he's going to say shit about his wife. And DeSantis is going to have that moment where he's like, well, do I go across the stage and punch the motherfucker in the face or not? And he won't. At the end of the day, he won't. 
You'll bow like all of them. In his book that he's got coming out, he had a chance to distinguish himself from Trump, and instead it was, Trump is right. The press is the enemy of the people. Uh, Donald Trump's farts smell like rainbows and, and, and honeysuckle. You know, it's just they never they can't figure it out that unless you kill him politically, unless you stomp his fucking guts out politically, he's going to keep doing what he does, and he's never going to stop. So do you – have an idea on when you think DeSantis will announce, or I guess, do you think there's any chance he won't that he'll just back out and realize? Oh, well, listen, a lot of people are starting to worry about DeSantis in the, especially in the major donor world. They're worried because they're starting to understand the math, the, the, the brutal math of the Republican primary. If Donald Trump holds 15 to 20% of the Republican base vote in a primary, and by the way, I think that's an incredibly modest number. Our modeling, it's about triple that number in our modeling. But it's in the it's in the mid-50s, okay? He's going to win every primary. You go into Iowa and you've got percent of the vote already, and Ron DeSantis is going to collect. You know, so, so Trump starts at 20. Anything he adds to that is gravy. You got Ron DeSantis. He'll start in in the 20s, and everybody else will be dividing up their vote. And everybody else, by the way, will be will be aiming all their fire at DeSantis because they want to get him out of the way. Trump's going to win. And then he's going to go to New Hampshire, and he's going to win. And then he's going to go to South Carolina, and he's going to come in first. And DeSantis is going to come in second, and Nikki Haley is going to come in third. And it's going to grind and grind and grind, and these people will suddenly fall away, and Mike Pompeo will quit, and Mike Pence will quit. And so the donors are seeing there's a pathway where Donald Trump essentially wraps up the nomination by this time next year. Uh, the, the campaign is fully underway now. But if he does that, if he manages to go in there and just absolutely crush the early going of the primaries, it will be the same story that we've seen with the other hot flavors, Okay. Hot flavor of the year. Scott Walker will definitely, positively, absolutely be president. Rudy Giuliani, trust me, I was there. Oh, we've got $200 million. He's absolutely going to win the Republican primary. No one can defeat us. Jeb Bush, I've got $250 million. Let's give it to the guys in the in the super PAC and let them spend it, where they spent 50 of it attacking Marco Rubio. And, you know, the inevitability of the money and the and the and the hot flavor and the National Review articles is the exact opposite of inevitability. So the donors are starting to worry a little bit about DeSantis. It's not a panic yet, it, but it's it's like that scene in like any National Geographic thing, right? Or, or any David Attenborough wildlife video. As the gazelles drink from the watering hole, one senses something in the wind. And, and that one gazelle pops its head up and goes, uh-oh. And 30 seconds later, all the gazelles are gone because a fucking crocodile was coming out of the water, right? <laughs> These guys don't understand how uh, – the political side, they don't understand how quickly the donors can abandon them because it goes like this. Hey, Jay, listen, I know you're running for president. All we want is a seat at the table. You're the future of America. And then all of a sudden, one thing goes wrong. And that same guy from the same hedge fund goes, Jay, man, I love you, brother. You are – you are the future of America. You are a great candidate. But, you know, I think this quarter I'm going to sit out just this quarter, and, and let's see how things go. We'll be back with you. And then that thing starts to build on itself. And then it's like, hey, Jay, listen, you're a young man. you got a great future ahead of you. You are going to be president someday, but I just don't think it's this year. And, uh, you know, let's talk soon. And, the, and that donor hangs up the phone and goes, Mr. Trump, where do I wire my money? <laughs> It's just what happened in 2020 or in 2016. You watch. 
the minute those gazelles, those antelopes start looking up, uh-oh, is there a crocodile on the water? Is there a crocodile coming towards us? And they flee. They are they are pack animal. <laughs> yes, that sounds very accurate for what I think we're going to see. So it makes a lot of sense, and we've been thinking about this and talking about this, that it might be in DeSantis's best interests to sit this one out. Because in 2028, mm-hmm. it's going to look a whole lot better for the guy in terms of you know who he's running oh. against. One way or the other, Trump is out yes. of this thing in 2028. He's not running in that year. Right. So, you know, Trump is obviously the more short-term threat to democracy, but DeSantis does have the potential to be the bigger long-term threat because he's got that potential to be the candidate Trump promised he would be in 2016 and then didn't deliver on. Sure. So you're seeing these comparisons now between DeSantis and um, Hungary's authoritarian leader, Viktor Orban. Do you think that's fair? Ron DeSantis is what I call an unlimited government conservative. The old predicate of the Republican Party was that you you believe that the power of the state and the power of big government was an imminent danger to human freedom. You believe that no matter what the good intentions were, that the power of the state lent itself to abuse. And I wrote about this in, in one of my books. You know, the, the Republicans who wanted government out of everything now want government to do everything on their social agenda and on their cultural agenda. They believe that the power of the state should be yielded to hurt their enemies. I mean, J.D. Vance said it. The power of the state should be used to destroy our political enemies. And DeSantis represents that new ideological strain of the Republican Party, which is, again, it is post-conservative, post-ideological. It is about the exercise of cultural and state power to achieve their ends. So, look, I do think DeSantis is dangerous. I think the things he's doing are dangerous. I think he may be an overpriced stock in this presidential race, But in the long haul, a guy like DeSantis who's willing to use his power, who's willing to take the power of government and punish political enemies with it, or try to at least, is an enormously dangerous figure in American political life. And as a conservative, people are like, oh, you're a progressive now. No, I'm still a center-right guy. As a conservative, I don't want anybody misusing the power of government. You know what? I was pissed when Trump used orders all the time, but remarkably – People had to look back. Like, you never said anything about this during Obama. Oh, yeah, I did. I don't like executive orders as a, <laughs> as a rule. I like you to do things to get the will of the people behind you, get a piece of legislation passed as the Constitution and the law intends. But, you know, you're going to see DeSantis, if he becomes president, he will govern essentially by executive order because he's grown up in Florida where executive orders are an incredibly powerful tool for the governor. I'm laughing about the idea of somebody accusing you of being soft on Obama. That's funny. That's just <laughs> amazing. I know, right? <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah. Do you know well, this guy you, at all? <laughs> so you mentioned what DeSantis could look like, but I think it, it's probably worth pausing for a second and asking what a Trump win in 2024 would look like. Uh, because we've we've spent a lot of time thinking about that and it's it's an ultimate revenge tour uh in my eyes is that what you see no look if trump is elected president he is going to try to settle every score he's ever had he's going to jump into the justice department and hose it out and replace every single person in a senior position there with a trump sycophant he's going to go to the defense department and do the same thing He's going to go, uh, yeah, Secretary of Defense Cash Patel should shiver your timbers, boys. And he's going to put Rich Grinnell in charge of the CIA. 
or the D or as DNI again. They're going to try to go in and hose out every human being that isn't a Trump loyalist and 100% on Trump's agenda. I think it is an enormously dangerous moment for this country. And and if we end up in that moment, you should expect him to exercise power in a maximal fashion. In the words of Jenny Holzer, you know, abuse of power comes as no surprise. It is going to be essentially, and I, 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 people will go, oh, you're exaggerating, Wilson. I want you to hear these words, three words, reign of terror. Mm. <laughs> yeah. He will seek to use the power of government to destroy his political enemies at every turn. He will go out and he will try to punish the companies and the individuals. And look, guys, I had a fucking preview of this already. I had a preview of this already. In November of 2020, we didn't find this out until after the 1-6 hearings, Donald Trump said to Mark Meadows, I want the Lincoln Project dead. Hmm. Mark Meadows went to Bill Barr with a package of opposition research and said, here it is, go to work. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when the DOJ, and, and frankly, to our benefit, Bill Barr was already me- mentally fairly checked out at that point, but the fact of the matter is, When the Department of Justice is told by the White House Chief of Staff, the president wants you to investigate and get these people, he wasn't talking about because we did anything illegal. He was talking about because we pissed him off with ads that made him made him feel like he couldn't get, you know, out from under us. I mean, you know, Reed Galen and Steve Schmidt and Rick Wilson and Tour Stevens and blah, 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 blah. And I I remember when we learned about this, I was reading the Meadows text messages and I said, I spent the last six, seven years fighting this guy. I've had a hundred death threats. I've had people show up at my house with guns. I've had people stalk my kids. I've had people threaten to kill my dogs. I've had people say a million different shitty things about me. I've had death threats literally in the hundreds. That was the first time I felt actual fear. I felt actual fear because I'm like, oh, man, once the machinery of the state starts rolling up on you, doesn't matter if you're innocent. It doesn't matter if it's an abuse of power. Once it starts rolling up on you, by and large, you're in a world of shit. And so that was the first time I'd actually felt any sense of fear of their ability to hurt me, you know, more than physically. You know, look, because here, here's here, I'm a, I'm a fatalist about some of these things. You know, if if some MAGA crazy person comes up to me and decides he's going to shoot me in the back of the head, my number's up, my number's up. I can't do anything about it. If he comes to the front, I carry, just so everybody knows, uh, and I'm good at it. We'll see how it works out. But the idea that they were going to use the Department of Justice to persecute their political opponents was always sort of known. But I I mean, I can point now to direct evidence of it. I'm an enemy of the Trump state. My organization is an enemy of the Trump state. And they will go into the next administration and there will be an endless procession of Trump's enemies, real and imagined, that he is going to punish. The economy will crash you know, we will declare our our eternal friendship and fealty to the Soviet Union. And I guess I do use that word advisedly. <laughs> and it will be, you know, I don't like Ukraine. They would never do me a favor. Therefore, we are cutting all American aid. And my friend Vladimir Putin says it will be fine. You know, it, it's just the entire future is as bleak and shitty as you could possibly imagine. Yeah, and I, I think you mentioned them targeting you directly. And and that does lead to my next question, which it's so it's our personal belief that there's nobody on the planet who knows how to get under Donald Trump's skin better than you. Uh, We've seen him get triggered 
<laughs> how, how do you do it? How are you so good at it? I studied him. Um, in 2015, I was one of the first Republicans who said, I am not playing this fucking game. I went and I read every single book about him. I read thousands of articles about him. I read thousands of pages of court filings about him. I talked to hundreds of people that knew him. And I actually had, I didn't have a lot of personal interactions with him. I had, I think I met him three times, but when I used to work for Giuliani, you know, Trump was this sort of figure in New York. And the ironic thing is back then Rudy treated him with a kind of contempt. And so I was like, ah, fucking guy, you know, give him a park, give him a parking pass. Other than that, whatever. Um, (laughs) But I also, I also have a really, a fairly good sense of human beings. I understand people really, really well. I I understand what motivates people. And I understand generally how to, how to communicate with people. And I knew from the very start that all the boastfulness, all the bullying, all the swaggering, all the long tie, baggy suit, high, you know, shoes with lifts in them, all the bullshit, uh, the hair, the makeup, the the constant sort of braggadocio. I knew it all was was hiding this fucked up, damaged little boy whose parents were abusive to him when he was a child. And he's trying to work that bullying out his whole fucking life on a whole country. And and I knew that no one had ever confronted him in a way where, where they weren't either scared of him or wondering if they could somehow get something from him or wondering if they were somehow going to get in on the river of gold around Donald Trump. They always believed the, the, the bullshit, and I never did. And so I became this sort of antagonist to Trump out of a very principled position. I didn't care about Trump per se. I didn't care about Trump qua Trump. I cared about what he would do to the country and to the party and the conservative movement, and 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 I was right about it. And so as I started writing more and more about him in 2015 and 16, and as I wrote the first book over the course of 17 and early 18, I really understood that he had never had anyone really punch him in the face. He'd never had anyone who laughed at him more than they than they cringed. And so, you know, between the two books and podcasts with Molly Drunk Fast for a year and a half or so, writing hundreds of articles about the guy, talking about him in the media all the time, he decided at some point and, you know, he started tweeting about me, I guess in 17, maybe maybe 16. And he decided I was going to be one of those antagonists that bothered him. And so when we formed the Lincoln Project, you know, I was like, guys, I volunteer as tribute. I will take you know public point on a lot of this stuff because I know it pisses him off. There's an old uh, lesson that Dick Cheney used to teach. He said that good White Houses and good organizations leak on purpose. Bad White Houses, bad political organizations leak because they leak. Well, <laughs> the Trump campaign and the Trump White House leaked like a fucking sieve. You know, we had several people who were providing us with stuff so close in the room that it would make you like it would pop your eyes out. And I knew from people like, so let's put it this way. I had a source who was able to give me very clear reads on what was happening inside the campaign headquarters who said, oh, my God, that ad you put out. Jason Miller's been in his office with the door closed and Trump's been screaming at him for 15 minutes now. <laughs> 
and and so th- this ability to know what Trump was thinking because of a, a sort of the research and the the understanding and the sub- submerging myself in the horrible Trump like brain as well as all of us at the Lincoln Project, we're a bunch of you know, guys who do not mind fighting. We like a little, we like a little scrap. We like a little brawl. You know, how did guys like me seem so successful in the Republican Party? Yeah, it's some pretty smart guys out there, right? Pretty smart women out there too. But the Democrats made it easy because they were terrible at politics on a holistic basis. So we used to like look smart by beating their ass. Uh, but it wasn't like because we were so great. It was because they were so terrible. Well, we knew how to win against a guy like Trump. We knew that where the weak spots and the inflection points in the party were. When Trump came uh, out to Tulsa in his like sort of post in the, in the, the comeback thing, and the crowd wasn't there. Like eight thousand people in a thirty-eight thousand person arena. And, and the woman that did the woman that did the advertising, the voiceovers for us. Um, if people knew who she was. In the real world, they would shit a brick, and I'm never going to break her confidence. But she said, "Donald, it was smaller than you expected, but you've heard that a lot." (laughs) (laughs) We heard almost immediately. He's like, "How dare they? I have a big dick." I mean, (laughs) thank you, God. (laughs) So getting into his head, getting into his head like that, it really was one of those things that. We were exceedingly good at it, but it wasn't as hard as people thought. You know, if if you understood Trump at any at any level, you could reach into the campaign and and start screwing with them. You know, we got Trump to fire his campaign manager, Brad Parscale. How do we do it? Meet Brad Parscale. From dead broke to the man Trump can't win without. Brad was getting rich. How rich? Really rich. But don't tell Donald. He'd wonder how Brad can afford so much. A $2.4 million waterfront house in Fort Lauderdale. Two Florida condos worth almost a million each. He even has his very own yacht. A gorgeous Ferrari. A sleek Range Rover. Brad brags about using private jets. Oh my, Brad's a star. And why not? Brad's worth every dollar. Just ask him. We said that Brad was making more money. Brad's getting rich, Donald. He's got a yacht. He's (laughs) two Ferraris and a Land Rover. And the way I did the ad, I knew Trump would watch it. And we started talking about it in May of 20. I'm like, guys, this ad has to look like MTV Cribs. It has to be vulgar and flashy. So it's like Brad Parscale has a yacht. And the stock footage is like women in bikinis twerking on a big yacht. And we knew Trump would watch it. He couldn't couldn't look away. And so, you know, we made him fire his campaign manager. You know, it's the Darth Vader line, all too easy. Wow, that is that is power right there. Just being so up in that guy's head that it's not even just rent free. It's like we built a subdivision in there. Oh yeah, listen, listen. You know, I don't like it all the time. Okay, I will say. I mean, legitimately, there's a part of it that's like I don't want to think about this fucking guy all the time. I don't. It's horrifying. It's horrifying. But. You know, if I can put my superpowers to for for good for once and mess with him, I always tell people 
in, in a funny way, I always tell people what I'm going to do because too many campaigns are like our secret strategy is going to, you know what? Most of the time your strategies aren't secret anyway. Here's what I'm going to do in 2023 and 24. Here's what the Lincoln project is going to do in 23 and 24. We're going to fuck up Donald Trump. We're going to destroy him. We're going to wreck him every day. We're going to go after him all the time. And while we're doing that, we're also going to throw chum in the water, the Republican primary every day. We're going to break up MAGA. We're going to start pushing the fishers inside the Republican Party to spin off more of those educated, slightly higher income, more, more slightly more politically centrist Republicans and, and Republican independents off the vote. We're going to save democracy. We're going to preserve democracy because you notice people trying to burn down the Capitol a year and a half ago. It's going to be about democracy. This race, too, will be about a future for America. It'll be about what democracy looks like in America. It will be whether or not this republic is is a constitutional republic based on democratic principles or some sort of weird Putin-esque kleptocracy. And, you know, be pirates. We always joke about Lincoln Project being a pirate ship. It, it is kind of a pirate ship. We don't have a political party. We don't have a boss other than other than America. And so we're able to do things and say things faster, sharper, um, and, and 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 nastier than a lot of other groups can or will. You know, it's somebody one time was like, "Well, your tone is very." I'm like, "My tone? The <laughs> fuck out of here with my tone!" You know what? Uh, you don't like the tone? Uh, I'm sorry, but the Marcus of Queensbury's been dead for some time now, and this is a guy who was out there. You know, we're running against a guy who is who has proven he's not exactly the paragon of civility. And, and finally, you know, we're, we're going to have some fun with it because it's a serious mission. It's a hard mission. But the team at Lincoln works their asses off, um, and they do astounding, astounding work all the time in media, in creative, in press, in, in communications, in our field operations, all these things that we do. Uh, you know, it's a it's a small, hard, hard bitten team of uh, very, very smart, very, very hardworking people. But you know, we do try to have some fun with it because the absurd, it, it, as my grandmother was, you know, son. Even gallows humor is still humor. <laughs> it is one of those places where, in our political environment, if you didn't have us, you'd have to invent us in a weird way. Rick, thank you so much for coming on with us. That's just hey, man, amazing. I'm delighted anytime. Yeah, we really appreciate my, it. Uh, yeah, come on my podcast soon. Absolutely, whenever. Let's talk Let us uh, know. Talk the whole thing. All right, That's man. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can go to didnothingwrongpod.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word four, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza, B-J-J, G-R-Z-A, B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. Thanks again for tuning in, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.